and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture in order from the very first award ceremony to eventually the present year. I'm Susan Rosslin. And I'm David Dahl. And this week we are beginning our foray into the 1937 awards with a really bad movie. <laughs> Christ, this movie. <laughs> I I don't, uh, I don't know if this is the single worst movie we've watched. I mean, we'll get into it, but I don't think I've hated a movie we've watched more than I hate this movie. I kind of hate this movie more than Lives of a Bengal Lancer. Yeah, Lives of a Bengal Lancer only made me angry, whereas this movie made me both angry and, like, deeply sad. I mean, just, like, right off the bat, fuck you, Paul Mooney. Fuck you forever. Any goodwill you've built up with me, gone. Like, just, just forget story of Louis Pasteur. You're the worst. This movie makes casting ScarJo in Ghost in the Shell look like 12 years a slave. Like, <laughs> he's so fucking horrible as an Asian person in this that it is unbelievable. Yeah, so I guess we should say what the movie is. The movie we watched this week was The Good Earth, starring Paul Mooney and Louise Rayner as Chinese people. I guess. For some fucking reason. As honestly as two people with their hair pulled back really hard, that I guess means they're Chinese somehow. They also had on some eye makeup. Did he? She did. But it seemed like he skipped that step. I, I don't know. I mean, they apparently had... Uh, they were sort of celebrated for the advancements in hair and makeup that- Oh my god. Enabled them to, quote, look Chinese. I- <sighs> Oh my god. I don't even want to talk about the plot, because uh, it doesn't fucking matter. This movie is the ne plus ultra of well-intentioned white liberals trying to tell the sad story of anyone who's not white and western and how rough their life is and somehow thinks that they have insight into it which i don't know if the book is that way but i'm guessing that it probably is because it was written by a white woman yeah by the way did you get that this was supposed to be happening within the last 150 years before the train showed up like 45 minutes into this movie because i sure as hell didn't i thought this was like the 16th century or some shit yeah i mean and that that is one of the really big glaring issues about this movie and how it is such a like western gayest version of what i assume they thought it was like in china though pearl s buck apparently did live in china as a child but her dad was a missionary which like okay yeah that sure comes through <laughs> yeah i bet rural china at the turn of the 20th century fucking sucked but like one, you don't need to tell that story with these actors for sure. And two, you don't need to tell that story as some like weird maudlin tale about the importance of land. Like to to the to the simple people of China. Well, and three, you don't need to tell that tale at all if you are a white Westerner who is in the country. The way that all of the cultural touchstones, I guess you could call it, of the movie are portrayed are in this way that are so that are so condescending. Like every time that they have people over and the people compliment their food and they're like, oh, no, it's the worst rice that was ever made. My wife is a terrible cook. 
I am aware that there are cultures where that is sort of the the tendency, but the way that it is portrayed is as, as if he's being abusive about his wife. That's not how that works. It's a humility rather than saying, oh, thank you. I worked really hard. <laughs> yeah, this whole thing is like, uh, there's just so many small details like that of like, they got it like 20% right. And then we're like, good enough. And then like went off to do another terrible part of this shitty movie. There's so many moments of like, yeah, I guess that is a vaguely culturally Chinese thing like you, that you played telephone with through eight rounds or something. It feels like they got the script and there was no one on hand to say, what you need to understand is that this is not him insulting his wife. They're being humble and this is the cultural way to accept a compliment. And instead it reads as Paul Mooney looked at it and was like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, she never talks and she accepts like everything that I say or do to her. So uh, I guess I'm just insulting her. Yeah, and, like, I think that's one of the reasons I'm coming down specifically hard on Paul Mooney here. Listen, it's still not good that they cast Louise Rayner as one of the leads, but she at least feels like she's trying. Like, she actually talked to a Chinese person at some point in trying to do her role. I don't even know that I would go that far, but it does seem to me that she has some level of compassion for her character whereas Paul Mooney seems to think that being Chinese in and of itself is uh, bad I guess well he seems to think being Chinese is a series of verbal tics that it's talking very controlled like this that you're like it's vaguely Kirk like that and that's almost the entirety like that and being upset about everything he doesn't bring any internal life whatsoever to this character. He's just kind of doing a bad racist Asian accent. Yeah. Well, and Louise Rayner's accent sounds Eastern European. I have like 10 times in my notes. Like, what is this accent? I think the reason that came off better to me is that sounded to me like she wasn't even trying to do an accent. And I was like, great, fantastic, much better than what Paul Mooney is doing. Yeah, again, she lent some level of internal life and thought to her character, though there is nothing but suffering for Olan. Like, nothing in this movie, which also was really frustrating because it, Honestly, it really reminded me of, I want to tell a very personal story on our podcast. It reminded me of when I was a freshman in college, I was dating this guy who was from Texas and we went to a friend of his wedding in Texas and we went over to his grandparents' house to say hello and they were hosting another couple who were, they were playing bridge or like some old people card game. I was in the living room playing with the dog and they were in the kitchen at the kitchen table playing this card game. And I heard one of them say something about how they'd just been to Turkey. And for our new listeners, I'm half Turkish. My dad is Turkish. And one of the guys was asking, you know, oh, well, how was it? And the guy who had been there said, oh, well, you know, it's a really beautiful country. Everything was really lovely. But the way that they treat their women, they're just so subservient. I mean, we went out of Istanbul into this little village to buy rugs 
And we went into this cafe and there was no one there but men at lunch and they were all sitting around smoking and the women were just waiting on them hand and foot. Very sexist place. And I, I like froze and I regret that I didn't walk in there, which I would now at the age of 38 and say, you were in a fucking restaurant and the women were the servers. <laughs> There's nothing sexist about that. <laughs> That's just. That's just a restaurant. Like, go to any fucking Waffle House at 1230 in the afternoon, and that's the same situation. Um, but it felt like that to me. Like, someone had observed just enough to be able to make these assumptions about the gender dynamics, and it was like, oh, well, women never speak, and they have no feelings, and they're always put upon, and they never have any joy in their life, because that's what I observed from my, like, Western viewpoint. Even beyond that, one of the things I find puzzling about this movie is, does this movie think that's a bad scene for women or not? It seems to believe that there is this incredibly sexist treatment of all wives and women in China. I mean, I guess it kind of indicts that, but also as soon as the, like, husband does any sort of, not even contrition, just seems to concentrate on something beyond being terrible to his wife. <laughs> the movie's like, see, then it's fine. I got the feeling from it that women are underappreciated or unappreciated and not treated well, but that they should be celebrated for being quiet and miserable, that that's the best thing that a woman can be. So it's his fault for not appreciating her quiet misery, not... That she's quiet and miserable. Uh, yeah. I I do feel like we should go into the plot just because it'll be really fast. This rural farmer gets a wife. He has the brilliant idea of owning more land so that he can farm more. Apparently no one else has thought of this in his village. That goes great until there is a famine, at which point everybody almost starves to death, including child is, like, stillborn in one of the eight, like, let's do something tragic for... No, it's... Uh, she actually kills the child. Oh, right. You're right. Yeah. Then they go south to, I guess, Beijing? Is it ever specified? It's not, but I, I assume so. It's the big city at the turn of the century, so... I'm also assuming this is the Boxer Rebellion we're then dealing with for 25 minutes, though they never actually call it that either. No, because of course this rural family is so uneducated that apparently they can't listen to their surroundings to respond to it. Like, the way that they discuss the rebellion is so... I, they just the movie treats them like children. Actually, their children are smarter than they are. Yeah, for sure. The our main character has to have the word revolution explained to him like he's never heard it in his life. Yep. But they go to the city. You'll be shocked to learn the city doesn't solve all of their problems and is a terrible place to be when you're poor and starving. Then the Boxer Rebellion happens. The wife kind of lucks into, but also goes through a bunch of tragic stuff to get there, a bunch of jewels. They take the jewels back to their village, and the husband becomes a rich man, takes on a conniving second wife, who I guess is fooling around with the son, but boy, that whole sequence is weird. Like, wants to, but... When the husband walks in on them, it's like they're sitting on the same sofa. It's also so distracting that the sons are actually Chinese. Uh, interesting fact about the 
manipulating second wife, whose name is Lotus, and who is played by a white woman. That role was actually offered to Anna Mae Wong because she had originally been suggested for Olan, but the Hayes Code said that because Paul Mooney was playing the main character, that his wife had to be played by a white actress. Which confuses me because they then offered her the role of Lotus, which I guess they were like, ah, second wife doesn't count. And her response was, quote, You're asking me, with Chinese blood, to do the only unsympathetic role in the picture featuring an all-American cast portraying Chinese characters. And I love anime Wong more than I did before. (laughs) Yeah, no, being too good for this movie is literally the only good way to be associated with this movie. (laughs) Yes, good job, anime Wong. You won the gooder. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, he... Then, I guess, learns the lesson that the important thing is the land and not the wealth that comes from it. When there's a plague of locusts that his son, who's gone to agriculture school, explains that you don't have to just kind of go, Oh, I guess we're all going to starve to death and die when the locusts show up. And then the wife dies happily because the husband has learned his lesson about how important the land is. Although why she gives a shit about that escapes me. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's terrible. It's a really, really terrible movie. It is, at 138 minutes, 138 minutes too long. But also just, (laughs) like, it is inexcusable this movie is over two hours long. Because nothing happens for, like, 30-minute stretches. And then when something does happen, you're like, oh god, I wish it would stop. Yeah. It's, it's really bad. Just as soon as you, like, build up enough anger to be furious at this movie, the movie inflicts some sort of horrible thing on Louise Rayner, and you're like, God, I was just about to, like, catch fire again, and she's starving to death and pregnant and gives birth and kills her child so that she doesn't have to, like, have another starving child. (laughs) Or, like, people break into their house to steal their food and discover that they're eating mud because that's the only thing that they have. It's just so uh, agonizing to watch. There's nothing about this movie that I would recommend at all. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm not shocked that it was nominated for Best Picture because this is the kind of suffering fest that tends to get nominated and usually with totally the wrong people in the roles. It's also such a green book, look at what a good job we did portraying another race Hollywood thing, of like, no, actually you whiffed it super hard. You did a terrible job. We are definitely going to deal with this so much on this podcast. It's not going to stop. You know, you think about Dallas Buyers Club, for example, which casts a cis dude to portray a trans woman. And then wins a fucking award for it, despite the fact that he also was, like, accused of sexual assault in the same year. Yeah. It's just, like, all of these stories being told by people who are not a member of the group that they're representing. But this is certainly the most egregious thus far. (laughs) I mean, I think this is why I'm coming down so hard and so specifically on Paul Mooney's performance, is that, like... Listen, this is not the last time we are going to watch white people cast in parts they absolutely should not have. I don't think this is the last time that a movie will be nominated for that in the future. 
more movies will be nominated by the Academy where we have to deal with that 10 years from now. Yes. <laughs> that, like, they still haven't solved this. But some level of effort is often put in by those white people badly cast in this role. And Paul Mooney thinks he's too good for this movie, in which case, why are you in this fucking movie? If you're not even going to try, then, like... I didn't feel like he wasn't trying. I felt like he thought he was giving the performance of a lifetime. And it was like the only interaction that he'd ever had with anyone who was Chinese was like that he had gone to Chinatown in L.A. to a restaurant. Like, that is it. I guess. But like, that's what I mean, is that like, it feels like he did absolutely no research for this role. He makes no effort to give Wang any internal life. It feels like he just developed a bunch of ticks he thought the Academy would like, and then it worked because the Academy sucks. But, like, didn't actually try to portray the role really at all, let alone respectfully. He just kind of tried to do stuff to go, look at me, I'm Chinese. Look, look at how Chinese I am. And also look at what a great actor I am because I'm Paul Mooney. And it's like, dude, I I get it that you feel like you really inhabit your characters, but you, you, did, you did not hit the mark on this one at all. You're so wide of it, you're not even on the fucking baseball field anymore. You're like out in the parking lot. Just like with Viva Via and Wallace Berry, where I lost a lot of respect for him for taking that role, but then I also lost a lot of respect for him because his performance was lazy and also kind of revealed this lazy thing about what his performance always is. I feel the same way about Paul Mooney in this, where I'm like, oh, you're always just a series of ticks. You always just do body language stuff. You don't actually, like, act. Mm -hmm. You just perform. No, I totally agree. Like, he latches onto something and goes, oh, that's the physicality of this character, and just does that for, in this case, an eternity, slash two hours and 18 minutes. Yeah. It was also directed by Sidney Franklin, who did The Barretts of Wimpole Street. So I'm not surprised that the movie is basically one abuse on a poor, long-suffering woman after another, because that seems to be his jam. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And this time, instead of even getting to, like, go get married with her cool dog, she just, like, sees her shitty husband happy and is like, I did it. I finally am a good wife. I can die. (laughs) Which is... It's so much even worse somehow. It's not good. It's not a good movie. I don't even know like what else to say about it. I don't think there th- there is much more to say about it. It's so representative of Hollywood's major problem with race. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, we bandied about um, pulling the ripcord on the lives of a Bengal Lancer clause on this one. <laughs> But I think both of us just flipped over to hating this film so much. We wanted to specifically get into, like, indicting specific people for being involved in this film in a way that we didn't with Lives of a Bengal Lancer. So, score. Uh, One. Yeah. I hate that I instituted a non-zero clause. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like that, well, I mean... I feel like the one rather than the zero is like 
There's some crowd shots that I guess took some technical ability to do. I mean, a lot of the natural disasters that happened on the land definitely took some technical ability and are impressive. It still earns the one for this was a movie. Yeah, it was a movie. It was just a fucking terrible movie. Yeah, it was really bad. But there's no question that it was a movie, unfortunately. Yeah. Obviously, you shouldn't watch it. No, you should not make anyone watch it because that's a war crime. <laughs> and it is specifically forbidden by the Geneva Conventions. I missed that part. Yeah. I, mean, I haven't actually read all of the things that are, are specifically forbidden. Uh, however, I did feel as if torture was being enacted upon me while watching it. So I definitely had to take a break on this one. It's the first time I've tapped out in quite a while because I'd kind of just acclimated myself to these being a kind of miserable slog, which God willing, we're gonna pull out of that soon. <laughs> please, please. Yeah, but this time I like had to, because another thing that sucks about this movie is that the very moment somebody says like, let's buy more land. The moment their fate changes at all from the land being good, you're like, oh, this is going to end with them back where they started and happy about having land. And then you have to sit through two hours of the goddamn movie before that happens. You actually went on vacation and you were like, I can't do this before I leave. Because yeah. it was like the day before you were leaving. And I had already watched like an hour of it. I could not bring myself to rewatch that hour. And it was like 10 days in between. And I was like, nope, I can't. I can't. I restarted, but then had to take a break in the middle too. <laughs> Had to take another break. Around the time they got all the jewels and he went mad with power. I was like, well, fuck this for a full day. I'll get back to it later. Yeah, they got the jewels after she gets like horribly massacred and like kicked in the stomach repeatedly during the Boxer Rebellion. Because again, we have to inflict all of our damage on the poor woman. Hey, does anything ever come of that thing where she wants two pearls besides the evil second wife getting a set of pearl earrings? She gets them- Was that what I was supposed to care about, about that? I mean, she gets them back. And then gives them to her daughter-in-law at the very end. Oh, I missed that because I was so distracted by the daughter-in-law's, like, weird wig. Yeah. I mean, after the piece of shit husband nearly beats his second wife to death. Right. Well, wait, she he hits her too? I thought he just hit the son repeatedly. Oh, she's, like, crawling out of the room and tries to stand up and falls down because she's so injured. I didn't think that was because she was so injured. I thought it was, like, a weird servile thing. Because I thought he just hit the sun. Well, they don't show it, so I assumed he hit both of them. Y yeah. Mostly because Sidney Franklin just loves to beat up on women. Uh, yeah, for sure. And this movie definitely, like, thinks she deserves to be hit. Oh, totally. I definitely was not, like, given this movie my all when that scene happened, so I'd believe that he hit her. I just thought he only hit the sun, and then she did this weird, like, trying to be forgiven for her behavior thing that was like a game of telephone about bowing super low. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I hate this movie so much. It's so awful. It is It is so awful. And, and you know what? I do think I probably hate it more than Lives of Bengal Lancer because Bengal Lancer was like not even a movie. Yeah. It was so shittily made that I, I you know, I can't hate it as much. 
It was equally as racist, but it also wasn't trying to only portray a group of non-white people, whereas this movie was exclusively portraying non-white people with, like, 80% white actors. And also, like, I think the other difference in that way is that, like, I forgave the people in Lives of a Bengal Lancer, Lives of a Bengal Lancer. And like when I saw them in other movies, I was like, oh, right, they did that shitty movie. I'm glad they're in a better one now. I don't know if I will ever forgive Paul Mooney for this movie. Yeah, I don't know that I will either. I'm pretty mad at him. Do we have to watch him in anything else? Probably. Life of Emil Zola. He's going to friggin' win the Academy Award. He's- oh, fuck this. <laughs> All right. Well, too bad I already hate it. So next week, we are watching Lost Horizon, which is a fantasy film directed by Frank Capra. Which sounds like I should really enjoy it, but also like the entire medium of film feels like it has it out for me right now. So I don't... Yeah, I just, uh, I, I just hate movies at this point in my life. Yeah. I don't, I don't even want to watch them. Yeah. I, God, this cast is also, like, stacked with people I like, but it's still, like, I don't know, it's Frank Capra, a bunch of people I like, a fantasy thing with a cool title and a great po- oh god, it's got a great poster, we're all gonna die. <laughs> Is it a great poster, or do you just have Stockholm Syndrome? <laughs> it's a little bit of both. You're right, it's not a great poster, yeah. but the poster is definitely my thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of indistinct imagery, and, like, boy, they're doing some work on the <laughs> on the fonts. Yeah, they are. Well, yeah, so uh, tune in next week to find out if we uh, still hate movies. Yeah. Until then, this was a movie, and again, maybe the Academy should sit with that for a while. This is what you guys celebrate, this medium that did this. Yeah, maybe do something better with your life. Maybe, like, enjoy postcards for a while or something. No postcard (laughs) ever did this to me. No, no. (sighs) Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.